These are not easy subjects to teach. Money and possession. Last time I did was giving. It's kind of humbling and a little self-checking of yourself. Now, if you were to come to my house or go to my office, you would see I have a lot of possessions. And I have more at my office because my wife doesn't want them in the house because she doesn't want to have to clean them. And, you know, it's it's a really heart check of is it where this study is going to take us tonight. And, you know, the first portion of the study is really about wealth or the lack of it, and does it affect your relationship with God? And if I could have someone read 1 Timothy 6.10. For the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. Some people, eager for money, have wandered from the faith and pierced themselves with many griefs. So we have to look at how money affects our heart, how it affects our lives, and how it affects how we act. Now, there were many men in the Bible that were, were well off. Solomon was one of them. If someone could read Ecclesiastes, Ecclesiastes 12... 13 and 14. Solomon did was ask for wisdom and God found favor in him because that was the only thing he asked for was wisdom he didn't ask for wealth he didn't ask for a long life it was just wisdom and with that God honored him and gave him wealth and gave him a long life if we look at Job Job was a wealthy man. Chapter 1, verse 20 through 22. And if somebody could go to Job 42, verse 10. Job 1, 20 through 22. Then Job arose and rent his mantle and shaved his head and fell down upon the ground and worshipped and said, Naked came I out of my mother's womb, and naked shall I return thither. The Lord gave, and the Lord hath taken away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. In all this Job sinned not, nor charged God foolishly. 
So Job was already a wealthy man. He had many children. He had uh, many animals, land. He was very wealthy. He was very high regard in the community. And then God offered him up to Satan to test him. And throughout that whole test, he never turned against God. And after everything was said and done, Job prayed for his friends, and God found favor in him again. So what did God do? He increased his wealth double from what he had before. We have um, Joseph. Now, um, this is Matthew 27, 57 through 58. Matthew 27, 57 through 58. When it was evening, there came a rich man from Arimathea and Joseph, who also was a disciple of Jesus. He went to Pilate and asked for the body of Jesus. Then Pilate orders to be given to him. So here we have a rich man named Joseph who in turn gave his wealth for the church so they could bury Jesus. So he in turn used his money for for the Christians here. And then Matthew 19, 20 through 22. So here we have a man, unknown man who knew everything about Christ. But when he asked Christ, what did he want him to do? Christ told him to sell his possessions. Would you be able to do that? Would you be able to open up your home, put a for sale sign, sell everything you have, and then go and follow Christ or wherever God tells you to go. And, and that is where uh, you really have to decide on your faith with God. Is Are you willing to give up everything that you own just for Christ and do God's will? And that is where the heart really takes a, a hold of of the possessions and the money. Are we willing to do it for God or are we doing it for selfish needs? 
And that is one of those things that we have to understand and realize is what are we going to be doing it for? The second part of this is to be content. We need to trust in God or we're going to trust in money. It can't be one or the other, but it has to be one. And when we're content, we have the will to be happy for what we have. You could be on one spectrum, or you could be on the other end of the spectrum. You could be in the middle. But the thing is, are you happy with what you have? Matthew 10, 23 through 27. Mark, sorry, Mark 10, 23 through 27. Thank you. You're reading my notes. <laughs> and Jesus looked round about and saith unto his disciples, How hardly shall they that have riches enter into the kingdom of God? And the disciples were astonished at his words, but Jesus answered again and saith unto them, Children, how hard is it? For them that trust in riches to enter into the kingdom of God. It is easier for a camel to go through the eye of a needle than for a rich man to enter into the kingdom of God. And they were astonished out of measure, saying among themselves, Who then can be saved? And Jesus looking upon them, saying, With men it is impossible, but not with God. With God, all things are possible. And we're going to look at Proverbs eleven twenty-eight. Verse twenty-eight. Yes. Okay. Anyone trusting in his riches will fall, but the righteous will flourish like foliage. So, who are we going to trust? Are we going to trust in God, or are we going to trust in the world? And with all the possessions that we have. Now I want to read um, a little story here. And this is from a book called My Heart, Christ's Home. This was given to me um, when I first became a Christian. Um, and it's a really thin little pamphlet type book. Um, but, well, let me read it. There's one more matter of crucial consequences I would like to share with you. Now this is a man who first who has become a Christian and he is going through his home with Christ and figuring out what Christ wants him to do. One day I found him, and that's Christ, waiting for me at the front door. An arresting look was in his eyes. As I entered, he said to me, There's a particular odor in the house. Something must be dead around here. It's upstairs. I think it's in a hall closet. As soon as he said this, I knew what he was talking about. Indeed, there was a closet up there on the hall landing, just a few feet square. 
In that closet behind lock and key, I had one or two little personal things I did not want anyone to know about. Certainly, I did not want Christ to see them. They were dead and rotting things left over from the old life. Not wicked, but not right. And good to have in a Christian life. Yet I loved them. I wanted them so much for myself. I was really afraid to admit they were there. Reluctantly, I went up the stairs with him. And as we mounted, it made me angry. That's the only way I can put it. I had given him access to the study, the dining room, the living room, the workroom, the rec room, the bedroom, the family room, and the kitchen. And now he's asking me about a little two-by-four closet. I said to myself, this is too much. I'm not going to give him the key. Well, he responded, reading my thoughts. If you think I'm going to stay up here on the second floor with this smell, you're mistaken. I will take my bed out on the back porch or somewhere else. I'm certainly not going to stay around that. And I saw him start down the stairs. When you have come to know and love Jesus Christ, one of the worst things that can happen is to sense him withdrawing his face and fellowship. I had to give in. I'll give you the key, I said, sadly, but you'll have to open the closet and clean it out. I haven't the strength to do it. I know, he said. I know you haven't. Just give me the key. Just authorize me to handle that closet, and I will. So with trembling fingers, I passed the key over to him. He took it from my hand, walked over to the door, opened it, and entered it, took out the purifying stuff that was rotting there and threw it all away. Then he cleansed the closet, painted it and fixed it up all in a moment's time. Immediately, a fresh fragrant breeze swept through the house. The whole atmosphere changed. What release and victory to have that dead thing out of my life. Now, Before I became a Christian, I had packed up my stuff, the stuff that was treasured to me, and I put it in a shed at my parents' house, and I moved up to the San Francisco area. And while I was living in San Francisco, I became a Christian. And upon moving back, I was given this booklet, and it really convicted me. And this was my first trip to the dump. I took the majority of the stuff that was in that shed and I went to the dump and I threw it away because it didn't mean anything to me anymore. My life was more about Christ than it was the worldly possessions. The things that I thought was important, but really wasn't. And that was, you know, one of those things that we had We have to really look at our life and figure out what is important and what do we want to keep. Is it pleasing to God? I mean, if I were to open up my home and have the pastor come in, would I be hiding things? 
because I was too embarrassed to have them or have them see? Or can I open up my home and not feel like I have to hide anything or be embarrassed of anything that I own? Possessions are really just things. As Pastor said earlier today in service, we're not going to take them when we die. They're going to end up in the landfill, no matter what. And it's just a matter of, of a heart check of what do we want to do? Do we want to get rid of it now because it's not pleasing to God? Or do we want to hold on to it because it's mine and I worked hard for it? Or I really like it? And that's the thing that we have to look at is what do we want to do? And that's the heart check that God is telling us. We need to be content. We need to be happy for what we have. But how are we measured by God? If somebody could open up and read 1 Samuel 16, 7. But the Lord said to Samuel, Do not look on his appearance or on the height of his stature, because I have rejected him. For the Lord sees not as man sees. Man looks on the outward appearance, but the Lord looks on the heart. God's looking at our heart. He's looking at our mind. And he wants to know what you really feel and what you really think. It's not the outward appearance. It's not the show that you're going to put on for other people. It's really what's in here. And what's in here that God looks at. What are we thinking? Are we thinking pure thoughts? Or are we cussing at somebody because they cut us off? as we're driving down the road or somebody's not going fast enough. He wants to know what's in our heart because that is our true meaning in life. It's what's our heart. But we need to look at who provides. Is it me or is it God? If somebody could read Philippians 4.19. Paul's praying here. He's praying that God will supply all of the Philippians' needs. And and that is is something that, that we should be praying, that God provides for our needs. Not the wants. It's the needs. And that's where God provides. God is looking out for us. And and in Matthew he talks about us not to worry but to trust in him. That he takes care of the sparrows. He takes care of all living creatures. Are we not important to him that he wouldn't take care of us? I mean, me and my wife, we've been through some different situations through life, but God has always provided. He has always been there because we have always had faith and trust in God. 
Now, granted, we were sometimes on a very low spectrum of, of income, and some days we, we were doing really well. But that is where we have to look at of trusting God in all situations. Not just when we're struggling, but when we're doing really well, we need to continue to trust God to provide for our needs. Because as we saw with Job, what did Job say? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. God can take it away in a moment's notice. <clears throat> and and that is something that happened to us. Uh, 12 years ago, that was our second trip to the dump. We uh, lived in a home and come to find out it had black mold. And we filled up a 10 by 10 U-Haul of our possessions, my letterman's jacket, countless amazing books, an old antique stenograph, furniture, and we packed up that U-Haul and we took it to the dump. Now, sure I remember some of those things. I don't remember everything we threw away, but they were just items. They didn't make my world go around. Now people were shocked and amazed that I threw away that stenograph. Why didn't I take it to an antiques dealer and have them get the mold out of it? Well, you know how much that would cost, number one. And number two, it's just an item. It could be replaced if we wanted to. Most important to us was the health of our kids. And us moving out of that situation. It is being content with what we have. And God kept our family together. And he provided another place for us to stay. And through the church, we got, we were blessed with a bunk bed for our kids, many other possessions, clothes, and so many other things that, you know, it was just a blessing. But again, it's trusting God and having faith in Him that He will provide for our needs. Our kids never had to sleep on the floor. They were always taken care of. They always had clothes on their back. And it was just a blessing to watch God work. It doesn't matter what we have today because we are only here for a short amount of time. It's what our heart builds up, what we fill our mind with, of what we're going to experience in eternity 
So we need to be content. The third thing here is wealth or the lack of it demands proper biblical attitude. And again, it's about being content. Uh, Philippians 4.11. Are we trying to keep up with the Joneses? Are we comparing ourselves with other people? Are we focusing on ourselves and what God thinks that we need or knows that we need? To be content is not to grudgingly resign yourself to accept your state. Being content is to realize whatever you have been given is a blessing and to rest satisfied in God's provision. This is the most important attitude you could possess toward wealth and possessions. And you know, it is. It is the most important thing that we can do is understanding what we have and how we've been blessed. God blesses with a house. We need to take care of that house. We need to maintain it. We need to clean it. We need to make sure that it, it has the upkeeps and is running properly. Same with the vehicle. God entrusts us with a vehicle. We need to make sure to have the oil change. We need to make sure to rotate the tires. We need to make sure to take care of what God has entrusted us with. I own my own business. I consider it God's business. He entrusted me. He gave me the knowledge to do it. It's God's business. It's not mine. And I give it to God every morning going, okay, here's the calendar. What do I need to do today? What do I, how do I need to serve you? God is my ultimate boss. We have... Uh, or six items here that we need to realize that things are more important than money. The first one is wisdom. And like we talked about earlier, Solomon asked for wisdom. We go to 1 Kings 3, 7 through 14. First Kings three, seven through fourteen. Behold, I now do according to your word. Behold, I give you a wise and discerning mind, so that none like you has been 
before you, and now my peace will always have for you. I give you also what you have not asked, both riches and honor, so that no other king shall be there with you all your days. And if you will walk in my ways, keeping my statutes and my commandments, as your father David walked, then I will lengthen your days. He asked for wisdom. He asked for understanding. And there's countless verses in Proverbs that talk about wisdom and understanding. God blessed him. But God did say one thing there. As long as you follow my commands, he will continue to bless him. And that goes with the wisdom is we need to continually be in God's word. We need to be in God's word. We need to be reading it. We need to be studying it, meditating on it, praying about it. That's how we get the wisdom. But not only that, but we need to be following what God tells us to do. If God tells you to sell everything and pack it up, then that's what we're supposed to do. If God tells us that we need to help somebody for a certain thing, or then we need to do that. It's not all about me. It's about God. Amen. He talks about a righteous life. A righteous life is more important than money. Proverbs 16.8 Integrity is something that that you you should have, and I believe I, I've heard Pastor preach about this before. Is who you are in church should be who you are at home, who you are in the workplace, who you are in the grocery store, at the restaurant. You should be the same person throughout the day. Because a righteous life is making sure that you are being a good witness to God, for God. And we want to make sure that we are good stewards and that we are honoring God with everything that we do. And if we act a certain way, in one area than we are at church. Somebody walks in that door and sees you and saw the worst that you were. Does that look good on the church? It can be a negative thing. I thought this one was interesting. A good night's sleep. Ecclesiastes 5.12 Sleep and sleep on a laborer whether he eats little or much but the full stomach of the rich will not let him sleep. Why, why do you think God wants us to have a good night's sleep? 
Okay. And what do you do when you don't sleep? What's that? You're grumpy. <laughs> you worry more. Yeah. You lie there awake just with your thoughts in your mind and playing the what if game or or worrying about something else when God clearly tells us that we should not be worrying about things in Matthew but we should be having a good night rest so the next day we can do God's work and have a good attitude yes Psalm 127 too says it is vain that you rise up early and go late to rest eating the bread of anxious toil for he gives to his beloved sleep so you're saying we shouldn't get up early in the morning <laughs> no I mean you're right I mean we need to be listening to God and we need to make sure we get that sleep so we can do God's will God's word is more important than money let's go to 3 John chapter 1 verse 2 And I apologize, I skipped one. That's good health. (laughs) Um, Yes, good health. Uh, If we are not healthy, how can we go about? Now I know there are illnesses. It doesn't mean you're not a good Christian. It just means you're going through a trial right now. I've been overweight for I don't know how long or how many years. But I've always been in good health. <laughs> They're always checking my blood, always worried about diabetes or whatnot. And I always come back clean. I always have the good health. I just am overweight. Just the way that God made me. But it doesn't allow it it doesn't hinder me from doing God's work. Going back to God's word, Psalm 119, verse 72. Psalm 119, verse 72. The Lord of thy mouth is better unto me than thousands of gold and silver. God's word is the instructions. It's the soul. It's our appetite. Without God's word, how do we know what to do? I mean, we're always talking about instructions. We get a Mac. It comes with instructions. Right? We Car comes with owner's manual 
they become thicker and thicker, but which I don't understand why, but it, it comes with an owner's manual. Our owner's manual of life mm-hmm. is the Bible. Mm-hmm. It's God's word. And he gives us plenty of examples of what to do and what not to do. The last one is quietness and peace. And I'm trying to read my writing. To see what verse. Apologize. Ecclesiastes 3 7. There's a time and place for everything. But why do we need quietness? Listen. Two? God. Yeah. Yeah. If you look at praying, we have that laundry list of prayers. But when we pray, how often are we quiet? To listen to God back. God wants to have that communication with us. Not a one way communication. He wants a two way communication. He wants to talk to us too. And if we are not being quiet. And allowing him to talk to us. Then how can we know what God wants us to do? It is one of those things that we have to look at to see and check with ourselves how much are we listening to God. With this, we realize if God takes all your wealth away, your relationship with Him should be the same. And if you look at Job 1, 20-22, which we read a little earlier. Um, God gives and he takes away. And me and my wife actually went to the dump a third time. We had a flood in our home. And we just bought a home probably six months before the flood. And we walked downstairs and there was about this much of water that was throughout the whole level of the house. And we're standing there sweeping water outside the back door. And I told my wife, well, welcome to home ownership. It was our first home. (laughs) Weren't mad. We just... Did what we needed to do to get the water out. Called the insurance company. They had people come over to look at the, and assess what was going on. 
And the weirdest thing happened. The power strip that was holding, or that had the TV and VCR and everything plugged into it, it melted. <laughs> so there was some kind of electrical thing that happened to that because it was in the water. And it, it must have happened a long prior to us standing in the water. Because I know if we were standing in that water while it happened, I don't know if I'll be here today. <laughs> but that was God looking out for us. We, were, we had to cut the cords because the, they were so melted inside the power strips that we, we, you couldn't take them out. But it was one of those things where I was like, well, I guess we don't have a TV anymore. <laughs> Get rid of the cable. And, it, you know, it's just one of those things where, once again, we, I mean, it wasn't a lot of stuff. It was, you know, furniture or living room furniture and the cabinet TV and stuff. It really wasn't that much else. There were some personal items that we had in storage that we had to throw away. But, you know, once again, it was just stuff that could be replaced. Our lives cannot be replaced. And I was praising God that whatever happened to that electrical cord happened well before I woke up. And so, therefore, we were not in jeopardy. And that's the thing, is being content. God can take away, but where is our heart attitude when it comes to when he takes things away? Are you going to be angry about it? Are you going to be upset? And that's where really understanding the possessions that you have, do you have that concept that it's just a thing? That it's cool to look at, but it has no, it does not mean more than God. Because I know some people who would just throw a fit or be angry because something broke or something got ruined. And that's where that means more to you than God does. And we need to make sure that the things that we have, the possessions that we have, we have the understanding that it's just a possession. And that's all it is. God is more important than those items. And that's where he talks about in this pamphlet here that realizing that if God takes all your wealth away, your relationship with him should be the same. We need to make sure that we have a proper balance in your attitude towards money and possessions. Proverbs 11.1 1 says, A false balance is abomination to the Lord. It's a mindset that you have to have in order 
to make or to make sure that you have that proper balance. And to make sure that your relationship with God is the center of everything. You have a proper mindset. You're understanding and knowing what God can do. And we've read Job 1. We read Proverbs 11, 1. And we just need to make sure that with that, we understand that it's all about God. What will God provide for me? God promises to provide your needs. Though needs will be physical as well as spiritual, you must discern between your needs and your wants. This could be a very difficult thing to do because we may think we need something where God does not. And it's trusting God to provide the needs, not the wants. It's nice to have the wants, but it's not necessary to survive, to live, to do God's work. That's all I have for today.